strangers, are you still buying laundry detergent in big plastic jugs? Stop doing that. Get yourself some laundry sauce pods instead. Not only is it better for the environment, but the sleek cardboard box the pods come in can be repurposed to hold your knickknacks, mismatched socks, or buttons that you don't remember where they came from. But more importantly, the super concentrated pods come with science-backed stain fighters and enzymes to leave your clothes fresh and clean without any of the unnecessary ingredients you find in grocery store laundry detergent. Which means I can get more laundry done with less detergent. The other day, true story, a youth sat next to me and said, you smell like roses. I was like, I sure do, buddy. I sure do. And you can too with the Egyptian rose-scented pods. Or if you're not into flowers, you can go with the sandalwood or cyber pine. Both delicious. But what would be the point of awesome-smelling detergent without scent boosters, dryer sheets, dryer balls, and fabric softeners? All developed with one of the top fragrance houses in the world. And if you're not happy, Laundry Sauce will give you your money back, no questions asked. Remember, when you smell your best, look your best, and feel your best, you're ready to take on the rest. So head to LaundrySauce.com strange and use promo code strange at checkout for 15% off. That's the best offer you'll find, but you must use my code STRANGE for 15% off your order. One last time, that's LaundrySauce.com STRANGE. Promo code STRANGE for 15% off. How well do you really know your neighbors? Like, really? Do you know their names? Maybe. Do you know what they do for a living? perhaps, and if so, wow. But do you really know who they are? What they do behind closed doors? Do you really know these strangers who reside just a few yards away from where you sleep at night? Do you know what they're capable of? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who can't imagine anything worse than losing a child. Except for maybe losing a child under mysterious circumstances. And maybe worse, losing a child under mysterious circumstances and feeling like police aren't taking it as seriously as they should. And maybe all that, plus finding out the answers were right there all along. For the family and loved ones of Savannah LaFontaine Greywind, the answers came far too late and terrifyingly close to home. A quick warning before we begin, this case involves violence toward a woman and an unborn child. As per usual, I don't dwell on the gruesome details, but sensitive listeners should take caution and perhaps head over instead to our Patreon page, where you can hear about treasure hunts, presidential UFO sightings, and the legend of the Melonheads. For just $5, you get three bonus episodes a month, and for another $2, you get all that, plus all the regular episodes ad-free. Head on over to patreon.com slash strangeandunexplained to become an intimate stranger today. Savannah LaFontaine Greywind was born on August 9, 1995, in North Dakota. Members of the Spirit Lake Sioux Nation, Savannah and her family lived in Fargo. By all accounts, her childhood was a relatively normal and happy one, and her family was a close-knit bunch. 
Growing up, Savannah's parents both worked, leaving Savannah with a lot of family responsibilities. Her mother, Norberta, told the Pacific Standard in 2019, Savannah always had more responsibility because she was the oldest. When they'd come home from school, she's the one who had the key to take care of the younger ones until we got home. Savannah's father, Joe, recalled, She was very loving. She really interacted with her brothers and sister, very kind-hearted. That's why we say they took an angel. Savannah loved horses, and her parents got her one, a gelding, which is apparently a castrated horse. She named him Speedy. Her mom later admitted that Speedy was a bad horse, but also they had no idea how to actually care for a horse. After graduating high school in 2013, Savannah got certified as a nursing assistant and got a job at a senior living community in Spirit Lake where her family had settled after having left Fargo when Savannah was younger. In 2016, the family moved back to Fargo and she transferred to the local branch of the senior living facility. It was her dream job and Savannah, while working as a nursing assistant, was also studying hard to be a fully qualified nurse in the elder care department. None of this is crucial to the story, but they're details that help to paint a picture of not just Savannah, but her life and her family. From all accounts, it seems they were a very close and loving family. Despite the moves, Savannah had maintained a relationship with her longtime boyfriend, Ashton Matheny, who was also a member of the Spirit Lake Nation. The two met in 2011 when Savannah was a sophomore in high school. Though they were only allowed to see each other at school at first, as per her parents' strict rules, the two began dating about two months after becoming friends. By January 2017, things had become more serious between Ashton and Savannah, now six years into their relationship. They were happy, and it showed. On the 16th of January, she posted a selfie on Facebook holding up two positive pregnancy tests with Ashton standing beside her, his arm around her shoulders. She wrote on the post, I'm so excited. I can't keep quiet no more. Later, Savannah's dad, Joe, would tell the Pacific Standard, We were pumped too, man. Our first grandchild. Everything was looking good for our family. Savannah wanted to buy a house with her parents so the whole family could live together. On February 25th, 2017, she shared this post on her Facebook page. So anyone that knows us knows we took our relationship super slow. Months actually getting to know each other before dating. A month into dating until our first kiss. We weren't sexually active until over a year after dating. When he came to my house, we weren't allowed to go into my room. He met my parents and uncle when he first came over, and they sat at the table, and my uncles and dads mostly asked him all kinds of questions. Kind of scary. I could go to his house, but had to be home by like 8.30. <laughs> After I turned 18 in 2013, we finally camped with each other, but we snuck out before then all the time. By August of that year, 2017, Savannah's dream of moving into a big house with her whole family had unfortunately been downgraded to just an apartment with Ashton. Probably because, as her mother later told the Pacific Standard, a lot of the houses they saw were out of their budget. 
But the apartment was only a block away from her parents and siblings, and Savannah was still helping out with family responsibilities, despite being eight months into her own pregnancy. According to the Pacific Standard article, on the morning of August 19th, and just a quick editorial note here, the article was written in the present tense, which we thought might be a little confusing, so we've changed the tense, but everything else remains exactly as it was written. Quote, Just before 10 a.m., she picked up her 18-year-old sister Kayla and drove her to work, and later her 16-year-old brother Casey had to be dropped off for his job at a car wash. Savannah and Ashton had already named their baby Hazley Joe, the Joe after Savannah's burly father. Savannah had already bought Hazley Joe's car seat and other items on her cascading to-do list, but she was also anxious. She had confided to Kayla that she was terribly frightened of the pain of childbirth, end quote. Her mother was planning a baby shower for the following day. Quote, at some point in the early afternoon, Savannah's neighbor, Brooke Cruz, who lived upstairs from Savannah's family with her boyfriend, William Hone, asked if Savannah could come up and help her with a sewing project and offered to pay her $20. Savannah was friendly with Cruz, but not super tight. At 1.23, Savannah texted her mother to tell her she ordered pizza for lunch for the family. Then she texted another family member and her boyfriend Ashton that she was going up to apartment 5 to help Cruz with the sewing project. And that was the last anyone ever heard of her. Strangers, I visited my bestie for her birthday and she poured me a glass of Pinot that was so delicious, I was like, where did you get this? It was from Naked Wines. Not only was the wine so good, but it cost her way less than it would have at her local wine shop. That's because Naked Wines works directly with small vintners to cut out the cost of the middleman. Naked Wines connects wine drinkers directly with winemakers who deliver right to your door. That means you save up to 60% off from what you would normally pay in the store. They want to pair you with wines that will match what you're looking for. Whether you're a beginner wine drinker or you're practically a sommelier. Whether you like sparkling rosés or a full-bodied reds or both. Naked Wines will give you exclusive access to hundreds of brands at huge savings without skimping on quality. So head to nakedwines.com strange and click enter voucher in the top right when you get to the website and put in strange for both the code and password to get six bottles of wine for just $39.99 with shipping included. That's $100 off and less than $7 per bottle. That's nakedwines.com strange and use the code and password strange to grab six bottles for just $39.99. One last time, that's nakedwines.com strange, code and password strange for $100 off your first six bottles. According to a piece from August 25th, 2017 in the Bismarck Tribune, the next couple hours broke down like this. Quote, 2.30 p.m., Norberta LaFontaine Greywind sent her 16-year-old son to the upstairs apartment to get his sister, who was to drive him to work. Her brother knocked on the door, but no one answered. He heard what he thinks is a sewing machine running in the apartment. Savannah's father, Joe Greywind, then knocked on the upstairs apartment door. A woman answered the door and said Savannah will be a bit longer. 
2.40 p.m., Norberta LaFontaine Graywin drove her son to work. She returned to the apartment building about 3.15 p.m. and, assuming her daughter was in her room, did some laundry, end quote. But Savannah's car was still parked out front, and she'd left her wallet at home when she went upstairs. Quote, 4.30 p.m., Norberta LaFontaine Graywin knocked on the upstairs apartment door and was told that her daughter had left, end quote. Norberta told the Duluth News Tribune, I immediately knew something was wrong because her car is here. She's eight months pregnant. Her feet were swollen, so she wouldn't have taken up walking like that. There was pizza here that she hadn't eaten. She would not just leave that lady's apartment and go somewhere. Norberta wasted no time calling the police and filing a missing person report. Police responded right away and shortly after 5 p.m. showed up at Cruz's door asking to search the apartment. In her book, Searching for Savannah, author Mona Gable, who'd also written the 2019 piece in the Pacific Standard, wrote, quote, Officer Bowman went upstairs to apartment 5. When he knocked on the door, Cruz quickly answered and invited him in. As they stood in the living room talking, Bowman took note of a sewing project on the couch. He also noticed the apartment was incredibly tidy. Cruz didn't know where Savannah was. She did ask her pregnant neighbor to come upstairs to help her resize a skirt. But when Savannah left, she didn't say where she was going. Would Cruz mind if he looked around, Bowman asked. Go right ahead, she told him. As he walked through the small apartment, the eight-year police veteran superficially gazed around. He didn't do a methodical search, didn't open drawers, inspect cupboards, peer into the kitchen. When he poked his head into the bedroom, a man was lying on the bed playing a video game, drinking a beer. It was William Hone, end quote. But later that evening, around 9 p.m., officers responded to the scene again when they got a call about a domestic disturbance. Apparently, Savannah's family had been repeatedly knocking on Cruz's door, demanding to be let in and given more information. When responding officers knocked on Cruz's door, quote, they heard a thump, the sound of something heavy being moved. A couch shoved there to block the locked door. When Cruz opened it to the officers, she was not so congenial this time. What do I have to do to show you I don't know where that girl is? She snarled. End quote. Now, look, I can appreciate that Cruz was frustrated with all the commotion and the ceaseless knocking on her door. I'm willing to bet Savannah's family, in their desperation, may have said some salty things to Cruz and her boyfriend. But when someone is suddenly missing and the last place anyone saw them was at your apartment... You better be Susie fucking Sunshine until you are definitively crossed off the suspect list. Pushing your couch up to the door when the police come knocking and referring to the missing person as that girl isn't the greatest look. Gable continues, quote, Once again, Cruz consented for them to look around the apartment. Once again, they found Hone in the bedroom sprawled on the bed. I saw no sign of any struggle or issues and did not see Savannah, Bowman wrote in his report that night. When they came back downstairs, Norberta and several family members were anxiously waiting outside. They didn't find anything suspicious, Bowman told them, end quote. 
The next day, still with no sign of Savannah, her family covered the neighborhood with missing persons signs, with photos of her face and the distinctive Dreamcatcher tattoo on her ankle, and offered a reward of $7,000 for any information leading to her whereabouts and or an arrest. The police returned to Cruz's apartment and searched for a third time, again finding nothing helpful. They also tried pinging Savannah's cell phone and sending canine units out to search, all proving useless. Two days after that, on August 22nd, Cruz's boyfriend, William Hone, was arrested after a shopping trip to Walmart on an outstanding warrant related to a fine for violating a no-contact order that had nothing to do with Savannah. Hone paid the fine and bailed himself out of jail. And I hate to be that guy, except it is kind of my job, but thems that have a no contact or restraining order also tend to be thems with maybe anger and boundary issues who may be known to be violent. Strangers, believe me when I tell you that up to this point, I was baffled by this case. I was relatively sure that Cruz and Hone had something to do with Savannah's disappearance, but how do you get rid of a whole person in the span of a few hours while in the same building as that person's family, and there is nothing in the apartment that shows anything suspicious? No one heard a scream? No one heard a car door slam? There was no sign of blood or a struggle? How? On August 24th, police learned that the purchase Hone had made a few days earlier at Walmart before he was arrested on the old warrant was for diapers. Why would a man who, as far as anyone knew, didn't have a baby, need diapers? Turns out, according to Hone's co-workers, he did have a new baby. He'd been telling them all about her. This time, when police searched the apartment again, they found a newborn baby girl on the bed. They found a newborn baby lying on the bed. Now, I will admit that half the crap they tell people they'll need when welcoming a newborn into their home is not necessary. In Finland, new parents get a free box containing everything they might need for the first few weeks after the baby comes. And it all fits in one box including a mattress, so the baby can literally sleep in the box. And Finland is consistently rated the happiest country in the world. So believe me when I tell you, you don't need every goddamn thing at Bye Bye Baby. That said, generally speaking, when people are expecting a new baby, there are some pretty necessary things you should expect to find in their home. Diapers, for instance. A crib, maybe a stroller, something. You definitely don't just find a baby lying on an adult bed. So whose baby was this? And where did it come from? Crew's new story was that Savannah had come to her asking for help. She didn't want the baby and was unhappy with her family and didn't know what to do. She asked Cruz to help her induce labor and to take her baby so that Savannah could run away because that makes sense. Needless to say, this story wasn't tremendously believable, but unless Hone said something different or Savannah could be found, no one knew what the truth was. Cruz and Hone were arrested and the baby was taken by Child Protective Services. 
Gable described the scene as Ashton Matheny watched as the child that they now believe to be his newborn daughter got carried away from the house by officials. Quote, until Ashton's paternity could be confirmed by a DNA test, the baby would remain in the custody of Cass County Social Services. Ashton had already been denied the usual rites of passage into fatherhood, seeing his daughter born, cradling her moments after, taking photos of her with Savannah. Now, as Savannah's relatives quietly gathered in the front yard of the apartment building, Ashton had to watch as the baby was transported to Sanford Children's Hospital. The family was awash in dread, end quote. Savannah's family was, understandably, really pissed. Clearly, they thought police were taking an incredibly laissez-faire approach to this whole thing. What with the whole searching the crime scene three times and finding nothing. Police, on the other hand, had a different view. Police Chief David Todd told the press he had dedicated a lot of resources to the search and that he felt they had to tread lightly in case Savannah was alive that whole time. Otherwise, they ran the risk of whomever may have been holding her harming her or her baby, which is, I mean, fine. But dude, how on earth could it have possibly been that in three searches of the apartment, police missed an entire newborn baby and, at the very least, the physical aftermath of a birth. I don't want to get too graphic, but birth is a pretty messy affair, even under the best of circumstances. How could it have been that some random person helped a woman deliver a baby and there was no sign of any of it? And still, where the hell was Savannah? Neither Cruz nor Hone were offering up anything to that question. According to the Bismarck Tribune, quote, Police Chief Todd called on the public throughout the city to check their property, buildings, garages, outbuildings for any sign of entry or any sign of something having been there. He asked landlords to check vacant apartments for any sign of entry or use. He also requested people look through dumpsters for suspicious materials. A call for the public's help was posted on the Fargo police website. End quote. When's the last time you logged on to your local police department's website? Most of us have no reason to go casually browsing the police's website unless we need something specific. So this hardly seems like an all-points bulletin. I can only hope that this call was also put out on local news programs, but I don't know. On August 27th, police responded to a report from some local kayakers on the Red River of a human-sized object wrapped in plastic that had gotten tangled up on a log on its way downriver. It was Savannah. Strangers, if you have cats, you know how stinky their wet food can be. And everyone knows that most cats won't eat dry food alone. Even my dogs, one of whom eats poop, won't eat dry food on its own. But you don't have to suffer through stinky wet food, and your cats don't have to starve by refusing to eat dry food. With Smalls Cat Food, your cat gets delicious, healthy cat food, and you get a stink-free house. At least when it comes to what you feed your cats. 
Smalls is made with ingredients you might find in your fridge. No, not the chocolate cake. Without all the nasty fillers and preservatives you find in other brands. And because the ingredients are so top shelf, 90% of Smalls cat people report overall improvement in their kitty's health. Did you know that what you feed your cats actually matters? Weird, right? But don't take my word for it. I don't even have cats. But you can see for yourself. If your cats don't love Smalls and won't eat it, you'll get a refund. It's 2024. Are you still feeding your cat kibble? Head to smalls.com slash strange and use promo code strange at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code STRANGE for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code STRANGE for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. During their trials, both Cruz and Hone admitted to killing Savannah. Though, again, the veracity of the details are questionable and definitely don't make them look any better. According to Cruz's version of the story, she got into some kind of altercation with Savannah when she'd come up to help her with the sewing project, though it's likely the sewing project had just been a ruse to get Savannah upstairs. Cruz said that at some point while Savannah was inside Cruz's apartment, she fell and hit her head on the sink, and while she went in and out of consciousness on the bathroom floor from this supposed accidental head trauma, Cruz... Listen, strangers, I just sat here for a full five minutes trying to figure out how to explain this without being too horrifically awful, but I can't think of how, so I'll just try to say this as succinctly as possible. Cruz cut Savannah open and took the baby out of her. How could anyone do such a horrific thing? And why? Cruz had apparently lied to Hone earlier that year that she was pregnant. At trial, Cruz claimed to have come to believe the delusion herself. As the due date for Cruz's fake pregnancy drew near, she realized she needed to produce a baby somehow. It's likely she realized that Savannah's pregnancy was near enough to term that that baby could be the baby. Clearly, though, when Hone came home from work and found a newborn baby lying on a towel in the bathtub and Savannah lying open and bloodied on the floor, Cruz couldn't be like, see, I told you I was pregnant. Instead, Cruz simply announced that this was their baby now. Cruz and Hone then killed Savannah, and as Gable described it, Hone, quote, discarded bloody shoes and towels from the crime scene in a Fargo dumpster and tossed a hollowed-out dresser with Savannah's body wrapped in plastic trash bags into the Red River, end quote. And after helping her clean up, remarkably well, obviously, Hone grabbed a beer, apparently smoked some pot, and laid back to play video games. Jesus H. Christ in a sidecar. One of the most surprising things I've learned over the course of making this show is not necessarily how many people out there can do unthinkable things to other people, though that is also staggeringly terrifying, but more so how many people can do unthinkable things and then act like nothing at all happened. I feel guilty just seeing police officers, 
I don't know why, but I instantly start thinking I need to look as innocent as possible whenever I see a cop. And I haven't even done anything. How do people who murder a woman take her baby, discard her body, then just act like it's another Tuesday afternoon? And even more mind-boggling is how do you do all that and then have the gall to snap at the police when they come knocking at your door? Like, what? It is really hard to come up with a logical explanation for how this investigation was so horrendously bungled. Except for apathy. How else do you explain police missing the evidence of an impromptu C-section and a whole baby for five days? Even if Cruz and Hone had been able to magically clean everything up before police arrived at 5.30, surely a thorough search would have found... First of all, evidence that the apartment had been recently cleaned, probably with bleach, and two, fucking blood all over the place, including in Hone's car. How did no one hear the baby crying? Where did they put the baby during the three searches of the apartment? How did a newborn baby manage to stay quiet during all three searches? Did no one notice that neither Cruz nor Hone had a baby seat in their cars? Fun fact, you literally cannot take your own baby out of a hospital without a car seat. I cannot wrap my head around this. Savannah's autopsy revealed she had died from, quote, homicidal violence, which certainly suggests more than just a bonk on the noggin from allegedly falling and hitting the sink. Cruz and Hone initially pled not guilty to conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, and providing false information to police, which just seems to be what people do. Even if they're found standing over the body with a bloody knife in one hand and a sign in the other reading, I am definitely guilty. I mean, sure, maybe 12 people on a jury would believe that Cruz helped Savannah birth her baby at eight months gestation at Savannah's request, and then Savannah ran away and, oops, showed up dead in a river a few weeks later. But I'm not sure that I would. Cruz then underwent a psychological evaluation, the results of which weren't released to the public, but after which she changed her plea to guilty. Now, listen, I am the first to admit that I don't fully understand how our judicial system works, but this one is a conundrum. Usually, when people undergo psychiatric evaluations after a murder like this, it's so that they can plead not guilty by reason of mental or psychological incompetence. In this case, Cruz was found competent to stand trial and presumably changed her plea to guilty, I guess in exchange for a lighter sentence. Hone also changed his plea to guilty to kidnapping and lying to police, but maintained he was not involved in Savannah's murder, though I would imagine helping to clean up a murder has to count for something. I'll take accessory to murder for 500, Mayim. During their trials, Cruz and Hone had different versions of what happened. Cruz claimed that a week before the murder, Hone told Cruz that Savannah was pregnant, and Cruz began planning how to go about getting that baby. Hone insisted he had no idea Cruz had been planning to somehow steal Savannah's baby. But 
Also, and this isn't really the point, but what is it with the world today that someone's upstairs neighbor in a small apartment building doesn't know their neighbor is pregnant? I knew my neighbors across the street were expecting and I hadn't laid eyes on them for months and months. The empty boxes of baby items outside for recycling gave it away. So much for it taking a village, I guess. Anyway, Hone claimed that Savannah was already dead when he came home, but Cruz disputed that, saying that Hone strangled Savannah to death after she had delivered the baby. In either case, Hone disposed of the bloody towels in a dumpster in Fargo and put Savannah's body in a hollowed-out dresser and threw the dresser into the Red River. Cruz received life without a possibility of parole. Hone also got life without the possibility of parole, but his sentence was reduced to 21 years because the judge in the initial trial had, quote, mistakenly classified him as a dangerous special offender based on his criminal record, end quote. I mean, if someone who commits this kind of crime, or at least aids in the hiding of evidence of the crime and harbors not only a criminal but a stolen baby doesn't qualify as a dangerous special offender, then I don't want to know what one has to do to qualify. In December of 2018, Savannah's family helped get a bill passed called the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Act that was eventually made into law. It was nicknamed the Savannah Act. According to the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center, quote, The act aims to improve data collection of missing or murdered Native Americans, clarify the responsibility of tribal, federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies responding to cases of missing or murdered Native Americans, and empower tribal governments with resources and information necessary to effectively respond to such cases. The act also directs the Department of Justice to review, revise, and develop law enforcement and justice protocols to address missing and murdered Native Americans. End quote. One of the other victims mentioned in the act is Monica L. Bercier, whose case from 1994 unfortunately didn't receive nearly as much attention as Savannah's, but whose daughter Tanya was aiming to correct that decades later by drawing attention to it in order to hopefully get it solved and raise awareness of the issues of violence toward indigenous women and girls. I'll be covering Monica's story in an upcoming bonus episode. According to the Savannah LaFontaine Greywind Memorial Facebook page, Hazley turned seven last August and definitely seems to be living the happy life Savannah wanted for her. Savannah's fiancé, Matheny, got custody of his daughter, Hazley Joe, whom he and Savannah named before she was born. And in 2018, he told People magazine all about Hazley. She was just starting to walk. Matheny proudly reported that the most steps she'd taken in a row so far was 14. She was shy, but very friendly once she got to know a person. Her first word was Dada, and she knew who Savannah was and called her Mama whenever she saw her picture. Matheny was finishing school and determined to give Hazley a happy life with lots of visits with Grandma and Grandpa Norberta and Joe Greywind, who, as far as the photos on Facebook show, dote on her and shower her with all kinds of love and affection. 
Sadly, though, in Hazley Joe's birthday pictures, her cake and balloons are always accompanied by a memorial to her mother's memory since she died the day her daughter was born. And while I completely understand the necessity of honoring Savannah's memory, I hate to think that little girl can't revel in the joy of being alive without also thinking about the pain her mother, whom she never met, went through. Savannah's family also keep her memory alive by raising awareness of the horrific numbers of indigenous girls and women who face violence. No one should become just a statistic. Every victim deserves justice. Unfortunately for many women, especially women of color, unless their families and loved ones yell loud enough, justice never comes. For Savannah, it's likely that without her family's relentless calls for help, she too might have become yet another statistic. Instead, she's a complete person, one with dreams, goals, and aspirations, one whose loss is still felt today. We would be wise to remember that each one of these women is worthy of our attention. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, why would one place attract so much paranormal activity? Could it be a real hotspot with portals to other dimensions? Could it be a curse? Or could it all just be another money-making hoax? We'll take a trip to Skinwalker Ranch. And if you want even more Strange and Unexplained, head on over to our Patreon, where you get three bonus episodes a month for just five bucks. And for seven bucks, you get all that, plus all the regular episodes ad-free. Just go to patreon.com slash strange and unexplained. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, produced by Natalie Grillo and Angela Palladino. Research by Jess McKillop. Editing by Eve Kerrigan. Sound engineering and mixing by Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Andrea Jones-Sojola, Ryan Garcia, and Crystal Simmons. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for a topic we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. If you like our show, please do help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. A five-star review and a quick sentence really helps the show out a lot. If you don't like our show, you can leave a terrible review. The name of the podcast is MAGA Mornings with Alan Jacoby. 